Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer and try Peloton risk-free with Peloton Rentals at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield, and this is the Ministry of Arts podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by bagging these bongos. Yeah, right. Crazy. <laughs> Crazy. Hello, and welcome to episode 174 of the Ministry of Arts podcast. Today we've got an episode that I've been looking forward to recording for a very long time and a couple of weeks ago I finally made it happen. But before I tell you about that, let me just thank our Patreon supporters because without those guys we would not be able to produce this podcast. So if you like what you hear and you'd like to support us as well, you can go over to the Ministry of Arts Instagram profile, you'll find a Linktree drop down box which will direct you to our Patreon page. And you can support us from as little as £3 a month, which is pretty much a cup of coffee, right? But if that's not your thing, that's absolutely fine because this content is free for everyone. Well, just last week I went back into prison. But this time it wasn't too drastic. It was all for the greater good. The prison arts charity, Kersler Arts, invited myself and portrait artist and previous Ministry of Arts podcast guest, Wilfred Wood, up to HMP Stafford to give their very proactive art class a bit of a crit session. It really was a very good and positive day and and I very much look forward to doing it again. But back to today's episode. Today I'm going to be taking you to meet Dion Kitson. And lucky for me I don't do these intros in front of the artists like some podcast hosts. Because it could have been a bit cringy with me sitting in front of Dion letting him hear me tell you just how much I love his work. Dion was born in Dudley in the heart of the black country and Dion's work reflects upon and celebrates those working class roots. And like myself, he's very much artist for all and he not only makes art with those people in mind but he also wants to include them in his work and make them part of it as well as inviting them aboard his artistic charabang for a little tour around the art world. His work is visually intriguing, it's inviting, it's humorous, it's very tongue-in-cheek but it's also multi-layered and just oozing with cultural and historical references. And because he's perfected that approach to creating his artwork, it can be appreciated and admired by anyone whatsoever, no matter which rung of the cultural ladder they choose to stand on to look at that art. Well, I suppose that's enough of me blowing smoke up his proverbial what's-it. So come and join me with Dion Kitson as I spoke to the man himself over Zoom. Been up too much. Uh, not much. I'm trying to find a studio, um, so that's taking ages. I'm trying. I'm, what I'm trying to do is, um, I'm trying to find something in the centre of the city. You see, but it's just my other friends have managed to do it, so at some point I'll be able to do it as well. Fucking <laughs> hell! Good luck. I know. Yeah, it's 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 just a case of um, how how can you make work in the meantime without space and facilities yeah. and when 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 I was at college, that my tutor used to tell me that um. 
you know, painters need space, you know. And I never quite understood what he meant until you're working in a tiny <laughs> little bit and you're like, you can't stand back or anything like this. Yeah. Is it why you've gone down to make him bronze cast rings? <laughs> yeah, something that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can do it in the back of a container. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> How's that work going? Is, it, is that all right? Yeah, it's good because I, I kind of stumbled upon it by, you know, I'd been in Birmingham for four years and never really exploited the trade that the jewellery quarter had. And kind of just thought it was some like historical part of the city, yeah. And it was a bit um, Victorian, but you know I've discovered that there's like thousands of people just polishing stuff or making things and spinning things and casting things, and they you go all across the world. Anyway, didn't you? Yeah. So I was kind of I, I was I was I was getting a company to make things, and then slowly found fit, decided to learn about the process more and how where is it done how much is it and and it's just done on one street in Birmingham like you could just get something made at the start and it'd be finished at the end within a day <laughs> that little conveyor belt of shops yeah, it's mental it's really mental and like insanely cheap i just can't believe that you anybody you'd get anything made anywhere else yeah you know and is is that the monster munch rings that you're on about doing now yeah. Oh mate, how cool! <laughs> how bloody cool! Are that? I don't know if, it, if if anyone's ever thought of it before, but as kids, you know that'd be it, wouldn't it? It'd be that hula hoops and you know Harry Bow, yeah. Oh, brilliant! <laughs> well, Harry Bow weren't about when I was a kid. I'm too fucking old. <laughs> but um, yeah, Monster Munch rings, man, they are so good. And oh, I see you you put up a few times with Joe Lysit wearing his one. Yeah, he's good. He does a he's um. He's a good lad in supporting the Birmingham artists. Um, so a little, a little nod to the ring goes a long way for me. <laughs> nice. And I, I, yeah, that's a phrase I'm sure that he'd use a few times himself. <laughs> right, Dion. As you're well aware, there's a set of seven questions. For anyone that doesn't know your work, how would you explain what you do? I don't know. You know, it's a it's a big question. It's it. I can't tell if half the time it's art or just stuff I do. And I'm slightly mad, and, <laughs> and and I'm just calling it art because there's a big safety net in life. Of course, pretending to be an artist or something. Um, it, it just proves to the world that it's not just insanity, and it there is a reason yeah. for doing all of this. Yeah, it's structured like I mean, I'm fenced insanity or something. People get scared, which I hate, and I'm scared of it all as well. You know, I've got many, many, many years in the art education institutes of getting degrees and. I've come to the end of it all and I'm like, I, I just want to unlearn everything that I've been taught because yeah. it's completely useless in talking yeah. to somebody on the street about it. it. It hasn't provided me with any clarity in communicating with uh, a, a wider audience. It's just made me hone in into this academic theory side of Yeah, well, if anything, it, exactly that. If anything, yeah. it, it pushes ideas and, and thoughts out of the way, doesn't it, you know? Yeah, and it was, you know, it's... I'm going to sit and complain about art school for ages, but like, you know, the idea of just selecting um, a medium and just sticking with it, you know, yeah. you're a painter now and then you're going to be a painter till you die. And the idea of ideas, you know, like, I remember being at art school and just having to justify that I just come up with something. Yeah. I, I was sitting and I was thinking and something popped into my head. They couldn't quite understand that. It was like, no, no, you must have you referenced an artist. You must have been looking in a book or you must have had some academic you know, underpinning to this yeah. idea. And I'm like, no, it just appeared in my head. It all comes back from life experience, what we've seen, what we've heard. Subconsciously, all of those things come into your mind and the creative process just nicks things off of everywhere. So we don't know what we're appropriating from where. It's just an idea that we've had. A lot of the things I say to other artists is that, like, why, why have we got a reference to Champ all the time? You know, can't we reference Walker's Crisps? Exactly. Is Walker's Crisps on the same level as Duchamp in my brain? You know, yeah. why is it? Why is there an, an importance to one thing and then the other? So there's all these kind of decision make. Like you know, I always thought that Fanny Craddock, the chef, was equal to Kurt Schwitters or something Brilliant. in in some weird scale in my head. That but it's like, yeah, it's you know, I work, I, I, do, I do a lot of work with football, and you know, art and football never kind of mixes. Every time you mention football, people roll their eyes in the art world. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and it's like, oh, yeah, all right. 
And it, it's actually, no, actually, football is really, it should be what artists make work about because it's the national sport and it's like in, in the British psyche, it's completely and utterly entwined in our DNA, yeah. regardless if you enjoy it or not. You know, more than Duchamp is, you know. I mean, talking of football, I've seen two of your works that involve footballs. One being the opened up leather football. When I first see it, I was like, oh, I wish I thought of that. Because <laughs> it's just a, such a beautiful image when it's all opened up. I really liked how I come up with it because I just sat daydreaming and I just thought of a football. And then I thought of, you know, I imagined the stitching coming apart and then suddenly the, the sphere is becoming like deconstructed and then it becomes flat. And then I thought, oh, funny, because a, a flat shape is a net. Oh, my God, football net. So yeah, there's a kind yeah, of yeah. pun that lets me in and it kind of re-cements re that this is a good idea if there's a football net kind of pun going on. It, there's, there's so many kind of deep layers to it, but ultimately it's, it, it's all about people who don't have, you know, years at art school and being lectured to about Duchamp or, or Kurt Schwitters or about Hearst or something, and somebody just approaching a... a, a a flattened football and having some appreciation that 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 it, maybe it's not art, but maybe that it, there's that I've shown somebody something else about something they already know, and that there's something interesting in that, and that it doesn't have to be a huge dialogue about how I'm going to save the planet with my art or something. That's what it's all about: is making someone look at something in front of them from a different viewpoint. What I've, what I've just been really peeved about about for the past couple of years is that. You know, I was, I'd see art in a gallery and I'd have to read like a thousand word introduction to the work. And then the work would have been like a load of string and some loaves of bread and something. And I'd be like, I'm, it, it's not engaging me. It doesn't say anything about my life. It doesn't say anything about life I've seen. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I like to use really simple algorithms to the, you know, I see something, I, I see it again. I kind of turn it on its head. I think about it for a little bit and then I, I put it back out in the world after it's been calculated and then hopefully somebody can come along and go, oh, that's a biro pen that's been turned on its sides. It's gone through a little process and now it's come out as maybe art, maybe sculpture. Yeah, yeah. But it, it, it's, I've always used this kind of thing of the objects that people know will be the thing that um, can introduce people into art. So footballs or um, cigarettes or ashtrays or beer mats or pints or iPhones, trainers, or something. So there's the, it. It's all it's all about using what people know. Yeah. And what I know, and I was, you know, I, 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 you know, all my family were artists growing up, and my head's full of artists and references and education of bloody art, and I always still feel that I know nothing about it. Going, yeah, I don't get any of this. I, I'm not into art. I don't get this. Yeah. The viewer only has to know a little something about you, like working class culture then everything starts to click in place. You know, Gavin Turk, for instance, just knowing that he likes to make unbeautiful things beautiful, then you can read all of his work after that, you know? None of it is, is more beautiful than the bin bag, in my yeah. eyes. Yeah, so when I was very young and impressionable at the age of 18, I was kind of, I did a bit of work with Gavin in his studio and saw how he worked and, and you know, he kind of mentored me for a little bit and. You know, we've been friends for a bit now, and I was kind of obsessed with his work. I think it's great. I remember walking to his studio and looking at things on the floor, and everything was art. <laughs> yeah. And it was it, it it kind of blows my mind that my entire perception can be changed, where I'm just yeah. looking at like a, a traffic cone. Oh my God, is that exactly exactly? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I went into a gallery in the West End. I've gone downstairs to this gallery. And at the bottom of the stairs, the cleaner had just put three bin bags at the bottom of the, you know, in the, in the lower gallery to take upstairs and chuck. And I walked past them and I've chuckled because every time I see a bin bag, no matter where it is, it's a Gavin Turk, you know. When I went back up, I said, are the three Gavin Turks for sale downstairs? She said, pardon. I said, there's, there's three Gavin Turk bits. She went, oh, no, sorry, they are actually bin liners. And I went, oh, sorry. And That's not and, art. Yeah, and, and just walked out. And I can imagine her going, what's a fucking idiot, you know? <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, I do, I do it all the time. I love that, though. I really love that how kind of simple that can that notion can be of a bronze bin bag. And like I've I've never looked at a bin bag the same. No, of course. <laughs> and I've written a fucking essay on that <laughs> as well. Like, you know, I know, like, 
<laughs> you know, I mean, there is, and, and there's there's a million of those because once a found object becomes art, then anything can be art. And there is the, you know, the stories of, you know, the, the cleaner's mop and bucket being in the gallery or the guy just putting his glasses down on the, on the floor a yeah. couple of years ago. And, um, yeah. you know, people who aren't into art think that, you know, that's how simple art is. You know, that's how easily you can fool an art viewer, you know, an art lover, because, you know, you can just say that anything is art. But, you know, if, if you look at absolutely anything in a different light, it falls I, under I always category, do this kind doesn't of it? trust my instinct with it in that I always work, the way of my process would be that whatever excites me visually or, you know, if there's a subject that excites me, and I kind of get a little bit addicted to it or I, I pick it up off the floor or, and I, I take it out of its space and start thinking about it and maybe add an addition, then somebody else in the world will find it as interesting. Like there might be, like maybe my art is just for one other viewer, <laughs> you know? <laughs> there's another, there's somebody slightly like Dion who likes Dion. <laughs> and you made a ring that, that was a skip very recently. Was that, an idea that come to you after having your skip with the skip gallery last year? I think it might have been Gavin. <laughs> <Actually>. <laughs> I don't know. I think we were chatting and talking about jewellery and there was a load of skips around us with, you know, I think, I think Gavin said that the skip is the silhouette of a diamond. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And I it thought, is. oh, that's good. Yeah. We'll have it on a ring then. Brilliant. An engagement and it, ring. Yeah. It kind of, it kind of, kind of got made but we, we're doing a um me and skip gallery are doing a little collaboration with the rings soon which is going to be good nice and there's going to be like a it's going to be an empty skip that and then you can get like a custom piece of rubbish put inside of it like cast and ah, nice. <laughs> yeah. build your own build your own skip ring yeah yeah custom skip rings <laughs> well let's while we're talking about the skip gallery Let's talk about your skip. We yeah. were both part of the factory project um, in the summer of, of last year. I was there for three days building mine. You, you, you know, obviously I'm not bitter and twisted about this by any means. You turned up in a car with a couple of hundred footballs, blew them up, put them in the skip and fucked off. <laughs> and, and, and it was, it was, it was amazing. I absolutely <laughs> loved it. You know, I, I was smiling through gritted teeth as you, as you was telling me, <laughs> as you was telling me about your artwork, but can you elaborate on, um, yeah, that bitter and twisted notion of art? <laughs> I've been collecting footballs. I don't know why I decided to, but that thing of collecting footballs happens. But you know, suddenly you find one, you find three, you've got four, and then you see another one, and then suddenly it's like, ah, oh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to collect a load of these. Yeah. And there's there's a, there's a big safety net within art, which is that if you've got more than one of the same thing, it's kind of an artwork already. Brilliant. You know, if you've got like a thousand Marmite jars, yeah. it's an artwork, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was, you know, doing adverts for people to donate footballs and I was getting inside canals and digging them out and... Mugging kids. Mugging kids. <laughs> <laughs> but there's such a pathos to it because like you see a, a football that's on a motorway or a dual carriage and, and it's yeah. like, oh, it's come over that garden and I'm taking it now. <laughs> And there was no real plan for it. It was just that it was like a material. It was like collecting clay or something that I've always been kind of squeezing things loads about, you know, I could make it into a canvas. I could do it as a painting. I could do it as a sculpture. I can cast them. I could do this and I can, and I'll just keep going until I just rinse every idea that's possible for that, art, for, for from a football. So one of them would be a collection and it was like, you know, put it in a skip and it would be ball pit, you know, something that's just yeah, yeah. Very, kind of a simple notion. There's something quite, nice and kind about seeing you know 200 discarded footballs rather yeah, it's than like, like an orphanage for footballs yeah, yeah yeah and it's the idea of the discarded football is i'm not sure where it occurred but a few years back i was doing work about landscape gardens and the tradition of landscape gardening you know in the 17th century and making obelisks and urns and these structures that would um, be inside these beautiful landscape gardens 
And I had this kind of notion that when I was a kid and kicked a, f a football over the neighbor's fence, for this period of time, this football would be a landscape garden ornament. Brilliant. Before I went round and got, nicked it or got it back or something. And it, in my garden, it was a football. In their garden, it was like a public intervention that was became an artwork. <laughs> well, you're saying about how you put them all in into the skip and you've, you know, they found them, a lot of them were lost items. You've put them in the skip, come back the next day and 30% of them had, had escaped <laughs> because yeah. they were the... The, the sort of the ones that weigh about four grams and a, a sneeze would, would, you know, disperse 10 of them. Yeah, I come back the next morning and I looked and there was just brightly coloured spheres all around this yard that was possibly an acre and a half. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant. I absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved that, Skip. Uh, did you, you always have art growing up in the home? Art on the walls? Not much. I, all I remember is a, a Picasso painting above my staircase, um, which was from the rose and blue period. Really like, a, it wasn't Boy with the Pipe. It was like um, one of the circus boys. Just stuck in my head forever and ever and ever and ever. It was just this like repeating image. It was like an advert. My grandparents were artists for many, 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 many years. And a lot of my cousins and uncles and aunties are all artists and oh, everybody's wow. been art trained. <laughs> so, you know, we are a little artist family. <laughs> I was going to say, were your parents aware of, of what that artwork was? Because in my home, or not so much mine, but in my grandparents' home, they would have like a, an artwork on the wall. And then years later, when I get into art, I see that that artwork is like a, a sort of a fine art piece that is hanging on a wall in Paris yeah, somewhere. You know? yeah. <laughs> and I, I love the idea of, you know, a, a working class family having a picture on their wall because they like it. You know, that's, yeah. that's the one they've chosen. They have no idea what it is, who painted it and when it was painted. Yeah, it, it holds no status. You know, it's, the status is that it's a pretty image. And basically, and we, you know, if we boil art down to its very, very core essence, it's basically something that's nice to look at. Yeah, but that's what <laughs> I tell When people come to me and say, I've got so much to spend on an artwork, who should I buy, what should I buy? And I say, just go and find something you like, put it on the wall. Buy one that you don't mind looking at every day. Yeah, yeah. And, and then I'll go buy something stupid. You know, yeah. buy something that's really stupid. It'll make you laugh every even, time you see it. The very that. idea that that's on a wall. Yeah. When was it you decided that you wanted to be an artist then? Oh, I was super, super early. I, I remember it really vividly that... Because my, grand, my grandparents kind of provided me with art materials from like the age of three or something. So I was constantly doing things. But I, I think in about... I was in primary school, I was really, really young and I'm sitting on a, in a classroom and the teacher goes around going like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And someone says, policeman. What do you want to be when you grow up? And someone says like, dinosaur. <laughs> Astronaut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I say, I want to be an artist. And it was like, Brilliant. everybody was like, what? I've never heard of that before. Like, and it's, I've just never, like, I've got like the, the entire archive of, everything I've ever done since the age of oh, two. Oh, wow. And Excellent. it's all it's all badly signed, Dion Kitson. Like, Excellent. <laughs> to this day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, I used to get these, like, kind of books on post-impressionism and, you know, Pizarro or Monet. And, oh, wow. And, and I'd just sit and look at them. And I remember just remember the signatures and how art, different artists would have different signatures and obviously a bit of like painting like an impressionist or something. And I, I, I just used to mimic, I used to just be a mimic artist and I'd kind of sit and paint my back garden like an impressionist painter. Excellent. <laughs> and then... <laughs> so you're talking about this long line of artwork going back to, you know, when you was two or three, as you say. From an artist who's, who's loved art since they can remember, when did that start to become relevant is, a, is the question that, that I like to ask. I remember when I was learning more at college, so at 14 and 15, about, you know, I learned about the YBAs and I learned about concepts and, and naughty artists doing naughty things. <laughs> um, 
again, we would just mimic it. So me and my friends yeah. at college would just mimic, you know, we'd pretend to be Francis Bacon in the pub and, and but it's, uh, there, there was an underlying tone to it that like when we'd go to the studio, whatever we were doing was the greatest artwork that's ever been made ever. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> it, was just, it was just some dickheads, you know, in Birmingham at college, you know, pretending to paint. <laughs> yeah, but isn't that how everyone learns their craft? If you're a, a singer, a rapper, an actor, you know, you sort of mimic whomever you're watching on the telly or listening on the radio. I remember someone said, Dion, are you going to go to art school? And I was like, what's the fuck's art school? <laughs> I never knew what it was. And then suddenly I went to art school and it was like, and now I get to do it all the time. And now I learn about it 24 seven and I've got it Monday to Sunday of art school. And I, I move away from home and there's a big building just dedicated to making art. And yeah, do you I just, think art school was beneficial to you? I think it was good. I think it just put, it puts it into perspective of, of where you're at and, how good you are and how, or how bad you are or it challenges you as well like you know I'm a competitive person really because I'm still a little bit of a 10 year old footballer like really like it's my football you know <laughs> yeah it's like, of course <laughs> you know and conversation's really important artists get locked into their own heads and then they get a chance to meet other artists and then they, they, they can kind of pontificate to each other about things and kind of be ambitious or draw up plans and tell each other what they want to do and achieve or, or make or what their art should achieve. So that that's all really healthy, but also just the, this kind of freedom of just space and time to just figure out, is this viable? You know, am I any good at this? Like, can I make this work? Um, and isn't it uh, a, a beautiful thing when that bit of uncertainty that you just mentioned, when that can be affirmed by yourself, because it doesn't matter who tells you you're a good artist, you know, you have some worth in this world we're all sort of walking about in. There is a point when thinking you go, fucking hell, yeah, I am, I am that person. And yeah, it's, it's, I, I think that it, post art school is all, it's confused me because it's all, it, it's made me second guess every decision because it's got to, there's got to be some underpinning. So all of my decision making is a little bit wayward and, oh, if I do this, it's going to do this, so it means this and the viewer's going to where basically I should just sit down and just do and do and do. And pre-arts, it was just constant, didn't give a fuck, just would carry on, you know, everything I was doing was going to be amazing. And I look back at it, shit. Yeah. You know, maybe I'm, maybe post-art school it's really good because I, I'm actually not thinking that everything's fucking brilliant all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that can be the hardest thing because, you know, I've got friends that make a piece of artwork, throw it out in the world, and it's an amazing piece of artwork. To make, to make mine look simple, I would have to carve it down for fucking hours and hours, days or even weeks to try and make it look like it was just put together, you know? Yeah, when I see someone that can turn up, <laughs> like your piece of artwork, you can have an idea, turn up, bang, done. I've got so much admiration for someone that can do that. And, and even more so, the other side of me was Hayden Kays, who turned up, put some clothes inside a couple of bin bags, made it look like a body, put it in a skip, laughed, <laughs> which really yeah. sort of rubbed something <laughs> in the wounds. And, uh, and what an amazing artwork that was. So either side of me, I had these beautiful artworks that just goes to show that you don't have to sit in front of a canvas for months and months to make a beautiful artwork, you know? One of the things I tell myself a lot is that art is really simple and it's human beings that are really complex. <laughs> Oh, perfect. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to nick that. <laughs> I remember when I really got into this stripping down of time and concepts and about keeping it really light and simple and energetic, um, calorie-free art. I had a tobacco tin. I and love I, it. <laughs> yeah, I kind I of opened it up. <laughs> I had, next to it was on the table was like a, a hamster toy. Took the mechanism and put it in the tin closed the lid and it started rolling around on the floor. Brilliant. And in 14 seconds, it was an artwork, you know, and called Rolling Tobacco. And it was like, Excellent. oh, fuck. the universe will kind of give you little sparks of joy. Exactly. Yeah, this, it's the same with the football nets. Like, I talk about it as if it's just some great idea that I had, but really I could break it down to, I probably was, I was thinking about the word net for quite a bit and I was thinking about shapes. And it just so happened that, 
football the football got knocked over the fence in my head and went into this other side and Brilliant. suddenly it was in the the bit of planning nets and designing things and it was like oh my god mix the two like you know the artists always do that thing where they just blend the two yeah ideas. yeah yeah i was when i've done one of these with heath kane he said there's a a simple mathematical equation is one and one equals three. Get one object, get another object, put them together, there's a third. I, I kind of have this belief that it's going to be fine no matter what, because if I've done it, then it's got my DNA and it's obviously got some subconscious things pulling through and somebody else is going to enjoy it no matter what. And and the worry and stress and anxiety of making art um, is bollocks, really. And it should, I should just enjoy it and not you know, what a privilege it is to make art. Um, you know, it's Well, that goes back to what I was just saying, because when you start a new artwork, I know that there's something there. You've just got to sort of chip away at the outsides to find out what it is you're actually looking for. Get to the base and go, there we go, there's the artwork. Or you just go, no, that weren't quite it. Put it to one side and it will reveal itself. Yeah, a, few months a, lot, a lot of things will look back after a year. You know, I, a lot, I, I really love that when it, you think it, or you think you've made a good piece of work and then a year later you look at it and you go oh, actually this is it and you kind yeah. of finish it off you figure out how to finish it or make it just take it to the next level right now i spoke about this with gavin and he was talking about um his sid vicious he said that a few years later he went back to it and put a another floor inside the box that it was in i asked the question well is it a new piece of work you know once you've signed it it's done if you add to it, is it a 2.0, if you like? Or, or is it just the old piece of work still? What did you say? <laughs> I can't remember. So that, that went nowhere. But, but that was, that was when, when... Yeah, it's, it's hard to... I think maybe if, it, if it's been through a public audience, maybe that's the fence where it's finished. And it yeah. is. And then it's if you the... change it after that, then it's different. Surely it's, it's a different artwork, surely, I think. That's, that's what I feel. I think that it's, I always do a joke where... I always say that my artwork are children. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They grow and they have lives of themselves and they change context and they they become older and they, they can be displayed in different ways and they can go abroad and they can come back and they can be locked away for a bit. And a little bit of me thinks that they're never kind of complete, really, yeah. and that they're just little notes, post-it notes as you go through life. Nice. But it's, that's why a painter can get away with stuff, because you can finish a painting. <laughs> The painting will look finished. <laughs> I remember being in front of a Francis Bacon um, in Oxford about 11 years ago and knowing everything about Francis Bacon and looking at them and being amazed. And, and my tutor came over at the time and he said, um, oh, they're brilliant, aren't they? And I was like, yeah. And he, was, he said, uh, he just knew when to leave them. And he's kind of just, he's just decided when they're finished and he's walked away and he's never gone back to them. And he's, yeah. he's never thought to add a bit more. It kept it in this like electricity of finished unfinishedness and having the confidence to just walk away and deciding in your head it's finished is your work is going to evolve you know you could stay working with those football nets for the rest of your career and just evolve them and them. variations of the pattern many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. What piece that you've created and has got the strongest emotional connection, do you reckon? Poor. Um, good question. Um, hmm. I quite like the rolling tobacco. I like because it, for me it was that I didn't need to be at art school for six years to achieve it. All I had to do was just play and have the confidence of playing 
with things and and not have to research about everything and figure out big huge questions in my head i could just sit with something that meant to something to me which is smoking you know prolonged suicide of smoking or something <laughs> and not having to you know worry about the viewer and worry about the audience and worry if this is important and worry if if this is the best artwork i'm ever going to make and just open a lid on a tobacco tin and, and put a toy in it and it rolls around the floor like it's alive and there's a little tiny pun which is rolling tobacco and there's kind of a joy in that like there's just a real nice joy that's exactly what like a four-year-old would do they would kind of put a piece of lego together it achieves something for them they've, they've they've achieved like this kind of very simple algorithm one-on-one piece of toy and lego is now something <laughs> but then they would have walked away from it and just remembered that toy that they'd made they would have shown a couple of friends whereas yeah. the artist goes right i've done that now we look at the relationship between man and, and pet that's that's also brilliant because I, that's the first time i've heard that association which so i'm nicking that from you now <laughs> oh, okay okay you, you can have but it's, what i love is that i can stay silent after it it's it's undoing within art but there's also a beautiful mystique about how things get made and why things get made and what they mean having that in a gallery and somebody coming along and seeing it they can just come in and associate whatever they like they can think it's shit they can think it's funny they can think it's sad they can think you know great things about it they can think it's got it questions everything in life and you know they i don't mind they're all right you know and i hate it's a bit of a cliche but it's not for me to tell people what to think you know yeah. i just propose something through a sculpture what is it you know let, let them decide what it is you know I, I go into prisons a fair bit or give, giving workshops and, and I, I first start with a, um, a little journey of, of the conceptual art that, that I created while I was in prison. I just want to try and show them how to look at something in a different light or they say that's not art and it depends on what eyes you're looking at. To me, it's a valuable and really powerful object to someone else. It's a fucking colander with some nuts and bolts in it. Yeah. And the, the, the impact that that colander had on me in that instant when I just went, fucking hell, she said all of that, all of that with just a bag of nuts and bolts and a, and a colander, it fucking changed my life, Dion, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not only did it change my life over the years, it's changed my identity and it's changed the, the course of my family history going forward, you know, because the like the children I've got now wouldn't be the children that I would have had if art didn't come into my life at that moment. They would have possibly had the attitude of the old me, you know, and that, it's just a fucking long way to say that the power of, of that is, is immense. Art does this brilliant thing where it allows creative thought and creative problem solving. And I always think that people who aren't artists or people who aren't creatives, that they lose that confidence and that creative thought yeah. can help you out of your problems. They've absolutely destroyed art education. <laughs> if you teach people how to solve their problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. A lot of it is about creative problem solving. And the idea of taking a trip to B&Q with 10 quid and trying to make art is, is that, I love that problem solve as well. It, and it's how do I creatively get out of this situation? I want to make art, but I can't afford it. So I've got to be clever about it. You know, I get a biro and I write a poem or something. Well, that's, that's pretty much what got me into, or that, that helped me get into uni, is the fact that I wasn't able to go to B&Q. I had whatever was in the prison and there was so much I wasn't allowed to have because of, you know, security risk. They can't be giving you a fucking Stanley knife, you know, because someone somewhere is the going beret. to get robbed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I had such a small palette of materials to work with, but that made me do more with them materials. Yeah, you know? yeah 100%, yeah. And then when I got out, I was still in jail when I started university. The, the tutor said to me, look, you've been locked up for years. Here's the big open studio. Have whatever you want. I, I presume you'll want the bit near the window, you know. You can use all of the materials, all of the classes, you know, the print, the bronze, anything you want. I ended up going in this little recess because I felt safe in it and just painting with acrylic and the half a dozen brushes that I'd ever used because I've, I felt safe with them. I, I was intimidated yeah. by the open world, you know. Yeah, and there's, there's, there's a, a security and safeness. Yeah. In, in ideas and there's a comfort in um, doing things that you know 
I I always wish that I was more confident in making the work I actually would like to make. Ah, <laughs> uh, see, what I've had to do there, work with humour in it. It just appeals to me. I, I think it is so fucking vital. But because in my head, my work is all about my identity and the identity of those people in prison. When I make humorous work, it doesn't feel like it's mine. So I've made, had to make like an alter ego called Roy Maynard. He can make the work that I'd like to make. I've, I've built this wall in between my sort of criminal justice work and the work I'd like to make. So I've had to give myself a new name. Yeah, maybe I should do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I like to think that I'm a funny person. You know, my practice is gonna have to reflect it, well, it will reflect who I am, and inevitably, some of that's going to be kind of naughty and a bit humorous and a little bit like, yeah, pokey and naughty. I like things that are a little bit, um, is it art? You know, yeah. can't be art. It's, it's me trying to figure it out myself. It's not me making fun. It's me trying to go, can it be? Can it be? Yeah. I need to figure this out. Well, that's a very British process, isn't it? Using humour to deal with problems. Like, like the one that I always think of is, you know, we was faced with Hitler in the 1930s. We were just this poxy little island off the, off the coast of Europe being bombarded day and night. We just come up with, yeah, but Hitler's only got one ball. And yeah. then that, that give everyone the sort of stance to laugh at, at what is about to kill us, you know. In the British psyche, we strangely have a sense of humour. Exactly. When we choose to. But I always thought that it was quite a good way to engage people that don't necessarily think they understand art to, to engage with it. You're more likely to make somebody think if you make them laugh first. Yeah. You know? I've, I've always liked the idea that there's decision makings within the viewer that they can decide, you know, I'll make things that have got, kind of got big, broad questions behind them or a big kind of debates about kind of post-industrial decline in the British psyche and, and working classness and Englishness and the great British empire and how it's come to this and how everything has led to this very point yeah. and it's terrible or it's just a little very simple rhyming poetic notion of a football in a canal Beautiful. and and it's just you know like why do people watch the telly when everybody on the telly's lives look better than mine you yeah. know yeah we go to art galleries and we either pretend the world's great or we pretend the world is this big liberal force or we pretend that the art can, you know, change the community with knitting or... But I'd rather just reflect something that people know and actually not say that everything's brilliant. But yeah, it's shit. <laughs> you know, post-industrial decline is shit. Yeah. And here it is. And isn't it great that you've come to a gallery to get away from it. <laughs> and I've shown it you again. Ta-da! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Talking of galleries, if there was you and five other artists, past and present, what would your ideal group show be? Um, Chapman Brothers, because I just love the way they speak about their work. I was looking at their, when they were acquiring Hitler's paintings, and the way that they were talking about it was just epic. They were saying how they could like reclaim history by painting over Hitler's paintings and with rainbows and... I walked into that show not knowing what was going to be in that show. Literally walked around the corner and saw this bank of twee paintings with clowns and cocks and rainbows. And, and then I read the little bit of Gump next to it and I was like, it's, it's like what I said earlier. It's us going, Hitler has only got one ball. <laughs> And I'm sure that Jake Chapman said that, he said, um, who's the most famous artist ever? And it's Hitler, you know? And I just thought, yeah, you know, that's so brilliant. And I just thought it was so naughty and so provocative that I don't think I'd have the balls to do that, see? Yeah. And a lot, of the, a lot of the artists I like or like to chat to and hang out with are artists that make work that I'm too shy to make. You know? yeah. I think... 15-year-old Dion would have been loved to have been a graffiti artist. But I see them doing it. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, that's what it would have been like. Yeah. Right, four other artists. Um, Tracy Emin. Cool. She said, I think she was at college when she said this, she said, I make work that I'd like to buy. Nice. And I thought, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah, she'd, she'd be great laugh on the wine. Da Vinci. Because when I was a little kid, all I'd do is read about Da Vinci and try and be a genius like Da Vinci. It's quite a good role model, isn't it, at five years old, Da Vinci, isn't it? <laughs> Who are your idols on a council estate? It's usually like, you know, a rapper or a, a footballer. 
And mine was fucking Leonardo da Vinci. <laughs> Don't you mean DiCaprio? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like working class eccentric. Like, <laughs> um, Picasso, because I just think, you know, the name, you know. <laughs> that is yeah, it. I bet it'd cause a load of trouble. One more, is it? Hmm. And you, Gary? Oh, that There we go. I was going to say, would Gavin Turk be outside tapping on the window, saying, well, where am I? He could have my seat. <laughs> <laughs> what would you do, Dion, if you wasn't an artist? Um, my honest opinion is I have no idea. I think I probably would have liked to have been a footballer. There was a point in my life where, I, you know, I played football every day, relentlessly, for hours and hours and hours, for about 10 years growing up, about 16 years of playing football. And if I if I had as much ambition as I did for art, for football, I would have been a footballer, a, a half successful footballer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really love watching football, and I I love thinking about football, and it's so poetic, and it's so romantic, and it's so beautiful to watch. And I love, I'm such a nerd with it. I love statistics, and I love patterns of play, and I love I love all of that. It's just so, um, it just energizes me so much, and it and it's something. It's not like I'm watching film or I'm not like reading or I'm I'm not listening to music it's kind of like this otherworldly space where it's it's just a football like it's just a <laughs> going around a pitch and and it's like 180 years later in the football league and we're still doing it exactly <laughs> you know, and it and hasn't changed too much either it's so strange I just it's, it gets really abstract and then I get back into it <laughs> it's like it's like somebody injects it with you and that's it and it just never leaves the system it is like this kind of religion it's like going to church on a sunday you know i've got to watch the football it's like i think it's really important for people as well i think it's a place for people to deal with things expel energy and shout you know it's good to shout and sing you know when was when was the last time that forty-eight thousand working class men all sang is there anything more beautiful oh, it's amazing i love that it's got this culture about it with everything, there's all these there's sides to it, but it's almost as as beautiful as like a Damien Hirst artwork or a or a Gavin Turk. It's got it's got so much weight behind it and concepts and romance and beauty. Were you saying about forty eight thousand people singing? Just looking back a couple of months ago, you had a West Ham player who kicks a cat on a Thursday. Yeah. On the Saturday, there was twenty five thousand people singing a song about that cat being yeah. kicked. It makes you think, was there choir practice on the Friday? You know, someone had come up with the song and then they got the, the 25,000 people together, you know, the yeah, new yeah. hymn and said, right, it's... you've got to learn this for tomorrow. I was, I did some research about it. There's the melodies within football chanting that, that you know, they date back 130 odd years of melodies. And then some of them are contemporary melodies and rhythms. And one of them's like a mild man's a dustman. Yeah, where's yeah, dustman's yeah, yeah, at? Yeah, yeah. Um, Place for the Wolverhampton, and he's a lovely chap. Um, and somebody in the crowd would just figure out that something rhymes <laughs> and they've got a melody to it, you know, and it would go. And it, there's a kind of deep rooted understanding of um, melody and it just works. And they're always short, you know, there's, there's not many words in them. There's six words and it. <laughs> I went to a football match when I was about 15 and it was England v Denmark. And along the side was the advert for Danish bacon. I said, well, they can stick their bacon up their ass," And then my mate Terry started chanting, stick your bacon up your ass," And then it, <laughs> it fucking grew and grew. And then everyone's going, stick your bacon up your ass." And then, I mean, it may well have been just 50 people around me. It felt like it was the whole stadium. And then I thought like, I was some sort of conductor. You know, I've just yeah. stepped into this world I don't know mentioned about stick your bacon up your ass and then it just grew <laughs> around me it was it was fucking beautiful it was it's brilliant i love that that's great <laughs> i hate to be overtly working class pride because i you know the middle classes never shout about their their lives and for some reason that because i'm working class that i have to be cele celebrate it or be proud of it but there's nothing I'm... wrong with that though is there no but i also i also think that there's an undertone of that really that I'm obviously trying to become middle class in a way. You know, I'm trying to make my life better by making art and trying to, you know, make a success of being an artist. And 
trying to have a living and educating myself and inevitably I'm going to become middle class. Yeah, but you don't walk through a doorway and shut it behind you, though, do you? <laughs> of course. Maybe I'm just thinking about it too simply. <laughs> yeah, you may just sort of pop over the fence and, you know, you'll yeah, always yeah. be leaning on that fence talking yeah. to me. <laughs> <laughs> the other side of it. But is Damien Hirst middle class? Arguably one of the richest artists in the world, one of the most famous artists in the world. His roots are the same as yours and mine. Yeah, but a bastard for telling me that I could do it. (laughs) (laughs) But when do you turn? I've always felt like an outsider everywhere. You know, people pen you into this working class artist group and I still don't feel like I'm a part of that. I'm kind of just like an eccentric kind of weirdo that happens to make art. Is that the working class thing where in the back of our minds we're going, you know, who who do you think you are? And that holds us all back. Yeah, I don't like being defined too much, you know, like before seeing the work, it's been called working class. And suddenly then there's all these preset notions of what I'm about to see, where rather I'd like things to just be empty and pure. And then things are just seen straight up as they are, rather than having context all the time. Because again, that's a very British thing. We've got to put ourselves in a box, haven't we? We were a Wikipedia age where we like things figured out and documented and archived and it's a load of shite, really. It just, <laughs> yeah, it just, it is just fences to pen you in, isn't it? Yeah, I think it will close my mind up as well. It will make me only think about this stuff, and actually, my brain wanders off and thinks about trees or clouds or something, and they're not working class, are they? Clouds, <laughs> I think. <laughs> they're, they're, some of them are a bit above themselves, though, aren't they? <laughs> um, what have you got coming up, Dion? Uh, I've got. A top secret public sculpture coming out. Nice. That's all I can say. Is that in Brum- <laughs> In the West Midlands, I'm going to say. <laughs> nice. Um, which I'm really, really happy about. And it's going to be a real proud moment for me. And quite special because it's going to be where I live and going to carry on trying to make jewellery and trying to figure it out. Um, I'm curating a show next year for Wolverhampton Art Gallery around football which we've been planning for years, but COVID nice. and everything has cancelled it repetitively. Um, I don't really know. I'm going to try and um, make great art, <laughs> I think. That's not a bad thing to have your mind sit on. Yeah, it's, I just work off instinct. Usually if I plan something, I never do it. Things will appear to me and I'll work with them. And yeah, it's all I want. I just want to make things. That's all I want to do. Nice. <laughs> well, I'm doing a little one in Warwickshire University next month. Ah, with Dean Kelland. No, Dean Kelland. What a fucking man! Yeah, he's great. I really, I really love him. He's good. When I first ever went to the Icon Gallery in Birmingham, I was about fourteen or fifteen, and there was a video of Dean Kelland's work. I remember. I think we hated it at the time, or we just found it funny, and we just didn't quite get it. But it, it, you know, it stuck with me forever and ever and ever and ever. And when I see my friends who were there when we first saw it, we still talk about it. You know, you dirty old man, you <laughs> dirty old. How it, wrong we were. I know, and it just, I think seeing that over the years has just filtered through to all my stuff. Yeah. And then I, I finally met Dean Kelland once. And I was like, oh man, you've influenced me so much. <laughs> and he was so nice, you know, and he was so, you know, he's, he was an Aston Villa fan. So I, forget, I forgave but him. Other than that, that, he was fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now, I'm also doing something for Birmingham University. I'm doing a couple of shows for them dotted around the country, one being in Lincoln, uh, a show in Liverpool, and it's culminating in the Mac. Oh, brilliant. I'll come along. Yeah, so that's, I think that's in either late 23 or early 24. I think it, what's happening at the moment icon. Is, is everybody's trying to figure out how to come out of COVID and get back to normal, if that's even a thing. But I think there was also the idea of planning stuff. We've had stuff go wrong so much in planning that like the idea of planning for something in the summer just feels like almost useless. Like, cause it... Yeah, for this last two years, everything obviously got stopped at the start for a few months and then it was open. And we're like, you can only plan a fortnight ahead if you was yeah. daring, you know, but it was genuinely a week in advance. What, what I'd like to do is, is have some form of another solo show because I can kind of deal with a lot of work that I've been making over the past couple of years and resolve it for me. And it 
you know, they never they never feel resolved unless they've been seen by the public. So I think that's probably one of my plans. I just want to make. <laughs> what is that? What is that theory? It's never complete until I think resolve resolve for me that it's that that I've made something and it's sat in the corner of the room. I think part of the life of the artwork it has to just be on a wall for a period of time and strange. Is it an object up until that point? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it has to leave the studio. You know, it has to get out of the studio or, or it's still in this limbo. It's and it's, it's in limbo in my head, you know, and it's kind of, it, it just, will, there's a bit of accomplishment of putting it onto a gallery wall or something. Yeah, like you said earlier, like a child, it's when it leaves home, it's no longer a child. Yeah. It, it becomes a, an adult. Yeah. FW Bargains. I didn't quite understand what was going on there. Was that yours? So, yeah, so fuck a wolf bargains. So it's, it's kind of a West Midlands in-joke. <laughs> so I got, um, with Hyper Studios, um, a brilliant charity that provide um, spaces for artists for free. I got a gallery space set up in Dudley. The top floor was like all of just my work that I could kind of showcase um, or look at and resolve for myself. And then downstairs, I thought I'd do... I, I was, at first, I was going to do a um, an exhibition about... Uh, Duchamp's Fountain, because it was in a fountain arcade. It was called Fountain Arcade, and I thought there's some kind of position there. And then I thought, no, actually, fuck it. Let's nobody knows about Duchamp in Dudley, so let's just do bargains. Like people like bargains. People understand bargains. People know Heinz beans, and people know tomato ketchup, and people know toilet duck. And and I'll bring in Fucker Wolf, who has a brilliant way of. Um, parodying and 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 flipping things on their head and it would engage people in Dudley uh, to look at art but not on an art premise it doesn't have yeah. to be about art it's just making somebody laugh or making somebody think or or just showing somebody what they know again but it, it's silly you know I like silliness as well I'm I get a bit giddy about silliness I'm with you on that <laughs> You've I like things that are just unexplainably one. funny yeah I don't know why they're funny you know and it and it I try and figure it out. Yeah, but then that's that's sort of counterintuitive because yeah. once you've figured out why it's funny, it's never fucking funny again, is it? I try to learn the algorithm to to recreate it, you know, but things that are organically funny. It's like jumping on a wild horse 30 <laughs> yeah. times. In the end, it's not wild anymore, is it? You yeah, know? yeah. It's a horse. Um, and where can people find you, be it website or social media? Uh, at Dion Kitson on Instagram and Twitter and then DeonKitson.com. I'm pretty good at updating it. What, your website? Yeah, I've, I used to do it religiously every Sunday. Wow. Yeah, but it, I've kind of, I'm, re, I'm addicted to kind of professionally photographing work. And then I don't have the means to do that at the moment. So it's not getting updated as much because I've got to figure out how to professionally photograph stuff. That's um, a really good thing to have. I'm kind of like addicted to this like um, professionalism of, of trying to maintain like a really high standard of, of organising and archiving and photographing. But what it does, it means that it limits me when I'm, I'm unable to do that. So I've got a load of new work that no one's seen for a couple of months because I'll start making work that I can photograph in a certain way so people can see it, you know. So you're but, making work for the camera or for the viewer? Um, for the Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> and is that is that where it is now? Uh, the in Instagram's good because it, it's like a... I just thought it was a good kind of portfolio. And it was it was basically like a branch of the website. I've had the website for nine years. Instagram was a great way to link, to, to just send people to the website to see this archive or see what I do. Actually, everybody's just on bloody Instagram, so I have to make the Instagram look like the website or something. I bought it when I was about 18, and it was the only time I had money. It was on my birthday. Brilliant. So for, for years, it renews on my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> but it meant that I always had money to pay the renewal. Yeah. And as you get older, you get less money in your birthday yeah, cards, yeah. don't you? So where am I going to find the I've money I've got to figure it? out how to pay for the website, yeah. Have you, have you got any other Monster Munch rings left or have they all gone? Monster Munch are available. Um, so I make them to order and I've got a few ready to go. Mo most things are ready to go, really. I'm not trying to be your salesman here, but <laughs> they are really good value, aren't they? I, I get, people get really annoyed at me because they're so cheap. 
Oh, no, no, they're not, no, they're not cheap. They are not cheap. They are really good value. You work. It was, it was, I was trying to figure out how to not sell print editions, but to sell art that was kind of well made and. It's a little sculpture. I've got a shelf of little objects, little little artworks. It's a working class object for working class people. Is how I saw it straight away. It, I always get really, but. really kind of like um, confused by it all. You know, I made a master of the Monster Munch, and I was like, oh yeah, this is kind of funny, isn't it? And then made a couple and was like, oh yeah, it's kind of funny. It's like, that looks kind of cool. Bit of bling that I've got now to show my mates. And then took a photo of it and put it online. And then 200 and odd sales later, I'm like, why are people buying William, because it's not cheap. How much are they? 60 pounds each. And the skips, I presume, are a bit more complex. Yeah, skips are a bit more complex, but there's multiple choice with them. But I've desi- I think I've designed them in a way so it's easier for us to make them. In, in jewelry quarter a lot of the, i did some skip rings and they were a little bit of an experiment to how they would cast and how they work and and now we're doing some more with skip gallery i've kind of got it figured out where we can make it easier and simpler and quicker and a little bit more of a custom edge um they're going to be around 50 pounds because they're a little bit smaller than the months monster months are massive yeah <laughs> really big but who's to say that can't be one of those things that that you just have in the background just constantly yeah. selling because it'll always go yeah, and it, it's kind of like, I'm not ashamed about trying to sell art, you know, like art school has set us all up to be really wary of selling. And towards the end of my time in art school, I was I was doing all right, you know, like I was in loads of shows and I was selling work and, and they hated it. Like the people who taught me for years hated the fact that they taught me to be, you know, half good at making art. And Didn't when it happened, they were like, well... Oh, that's really shit that you're selling art. I'm like, yeah. And they were like, "Do you want to work in Asda instead?" I'm like, "What? Like, what the yeah. fuck?" So, and you know, and it, there's something nice about making, you know, a novelty ring that's a monster munch, but that's cheap enough for kind of everybody to buy, and it's not, it's not some high elite artwork, but it also can just fund my practice as I go, and you know, all all the money that's ever made is just pumped straight back into trying to make art. You know, it, it sounds like you're trying to justify making it. <laughs> or selling it and it, it doesn't it doesn't need that because it's a fucking great idea you're making artwork that your next door neighbor can buy or that would even want you know yeah. even, even better you know i always get a little kick out of when the sales come from dudley like with yeah. from within the home yeah, kind of of thing. yeah they're very possibly not into art i really look forward to the day where i'm on a train and I can see somebody wearing a monster munch ring. How cool is <laughs> and they'd that? And I'd be like, that is fucking amazing. <laughs> well, I've got like, one of my children out in the world or something. <laughs> you know, it's like, a, it's a pleasure, isn't it? It's a privilege that people like, like things that you do. It's, that's yeah. really nice. You know, that makes me feel nice. I remember getting sent loads of footage and images and nice messages about people really enjoying opening a monster munch bag with a ring inside. <laughs> And what a way to receive it as well. I really liked the it. idea that when people open the envelope, they literally thought I'd sent them a bag of Monster Munch. Excellent. <laughs> I wanted them to just feel like somewhat deflated. Hang on, have I been conned here? Is there and some then... way to get the pickled onion essence in there as well? So there's a bit of... I, I spent weeks cleaning that essence out. <laughs> so I, I spent weeks cleaning them so it wouldn't stink. Oh, no, I'd go the and other uh, way yeah. I've missed the trick there. I need to send because, them. Yeah, psychologically, you're going to smell it anyway, yeah, aren't yeah, you? Yeah. You've got the bag, you've got the object, if you want to call it that. You're going to reflect on on your youth or at least your last bag of Monster Munch, aren't you? Yeah, it's good. It's just a simple notion of, like, art is allowed to be complex and big and broad, but also it's it's also, it can be wearable and it can be silly and novelty and kind of pretty and gold-plated as well of course <laughs> Leon Great. thank you very much for your time thank you so much yeah it's been brilliant we'll do it again in a couple of years <laughs> see you later mate Ta-da. have a good one well hope you enjoyed that episode of the Ministry of Arts podcast if you're unable to support us on Patreon leaving a review on whichever platform you listen to this podcast really does help us get noticed and anyone else looking for an art podcast or even giving us a positive shout out on your social media Anything is appreciated, but either way, thanks for listening, and until next week, ta-da.
Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness, and they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.